Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today, I want to talk about a woman that God used in a very unexpected way. We've been talking about the resurrection, and I've not wanted to move on too quickly because the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. It's not just for Easter. It is for every Sunday, every day. It is the resurrection that we live out of. The cross is such a beautiful picture, but the cross, just as the tomb, are both empty. Jesus is alive, and he's sitting at the right hand of the throne, ruling and reigning with God. Amen. And so our hope is not found in a place, it's found in a person, it's found in Jesus Christ. And, and so I want, to, I want to talk a little bit more about the resurrection because here's why. It's a universal event that's specific to everyday people. It's the biggest event that humanity has ever witnessed and it means something to you and I today. The cross, the burial, the resurrection is personal, even as it's universal. And Jesus, through his sacrifice, through what he did on the cross, he became a better sacrifice than just the Passover lamb. He became a better sacrifice than anything that you could offer. And let me tell you this, he calls you by name and he speaks a better promise over your life than anything anyone else has spoken over your life or could ever speak positive or negative. His words supersede them all over you. Yes and amen. And I want to read to you in John chapter 20 what what Jesus said to the very first person that sees him after he's resurrected. This is the very first encounter with a human being, with Jesus, after he's resurrected. The Bible says that Mary and some of the women came early in the morning on the first day of the week, which was actually Sunday in the Hebrew culture. And they couldn't go on Sabbath because it's it's against the Sabbath rules to go long distances and to work. So the very first chance they had, somewhere between three and six in the morning, these women went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. But when they got there, the stone surprisingly was rolled away and they were absolutely shocked. They were afraid and they thought someone had come to take his body. Not only was it to their thinking, it wasn't only good enough for them to kill him, they had to desecrate his body and not allow him to have a proper burial. And so they run and they get the disciples and they say, he's not in the tomb. And Peter and John, they run and they look inside the tomb. Peter walks inside the tomb and all he finds is the linen cloth in the tomb. And the Bible says that Peter and John and the woman are baffled. They're amazed, but they don't understand what's happening. Listen, this is one of the great arguments for the resurrection was the fact that those that saw it didn't understand it the moment they saw it. There was questioning involved. There was almost confusion involved as well. There was understanding. There's all these different things that are going on and they they don't fully understand it. And it goes to show God makes room for questioning. He, He makes room for the process of discovery. Again, if this was written as a mythical book, they would have said, of course he resurrected. We saw him resurrect on the very first day and we knew it instantly because we're geniuses and we're always paying attention. Now, that's not what they wrote. They wrote that they had no idea what was going on. And I'm going to read to you in a moment their reaction. But the Bible says that Peter and John, they walk away and and all that is left is Mary beside the tomb. But before I read this, I just want to pray and, and just give this moment to God. Lord, this moment is yours. 
come and speak to our hearts and our minds and our soul. And God, I pray right now that as we read your word, God, that your word gets in us. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And we're ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, come on, amen. Amen. John chapter 11 says this. We, we pick up with Mary. She's standing outside of the tomb and she's weeping. Peter and John had gone home because they can't figure it out. And so they might as well, you know, be together, going home. There's nothing else for them here. There's no body. There's no person. They don't know what else to do. But Mary, is, she's more emotional. She's more attached uh, to Jesus in, 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 a, in, a, in a unique way. And, and she just can't leave the place that it happened without understanding what happened. So she's just standing outside the empty tomb and she's weeping. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb because it was cut lower. She would have to stoop and look in. And when she did, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. See, this is interesting because... Um, this is a representation of the Ark of the Covenant. You heard of that? You know, it's not made just for Indiana. It actually, it actually was a real thing. With the Ark of the Covenant, uh, it was built um, by Moses and it was carried by the Jewish people from the wilderness into the promised land, set up in the first and second temples. It was the, the, the foremost piece of how they worshiped. And what they did is once a year, the high priest would sacrifice a perfect spotless lamb. They would take the blood of that lamb and it represented the blood of the people. Because of our sin, an innocent lamb had to be sacrificed. They took the blood and they would go before the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had an area which was flat, which was called the mercy seat. And on the Ark of the Covenant were two angels, one on one side, one at the other, one at the head and one of the feet. And their wings would cover over the mercy seat. And what the high priest would do is he would take the blood of the lamb and he would sprinkle it over the mercy seat. And it was a picture of the blood of innocence providing mercy when it touched the presence of God. It was acceptable and it provided mercy for all the people of Israel. And so what we're seeing when Mary looks in is she sees the angel on the right and the angel on the left in the mercy seat where Jesus laid and his blood was, was shed, not just for the people of Israel, but for the people, for all people, all tribes, all tongues, all those that would live. She looks into the tomb and sees the real Ark of the Covenant. It was his blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat, and that's why we receive mercy in our time of need, was because the innocent shed his blood for the guilty. And the angels are dressed in white. You know they're angels. And one of them speaks to her and says, woman, why are you weeping? I almost named this sermon, no woman, no cry. And, <laughs> and then she answers the angel and says, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. See, she's still not getting that this is the resurrection that Jesus promised. She still thinks someone came in and robbed the grave. And it wouldn't have been the disciples because they wouldn't have left the linen cloths there and bring out a naked body that would be uh, degrading to the body. It would have been messed up. And the, 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 the robbers would not have made it more difficult for them to move the body by leaving what it was wrapped in. So there's a conundrum on how did this body get moved and who would ever move it? And so she's asking the angels, what's going on here? Where, where is he gone? Who took him? I do not know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. 
But the Bible says, but she did not know at first that it was Jesus. What I love about this, just a a little interesting thing, is like she is the only person in the Bible to see angels and have no reaction. In the Old Testament, whenever people would see angels, you know, like grown, like Joshua, the commander of the Lord's army, instantly falls down in trembling fear. You know, there's angels uh, in 17 books of the Old Testament, 17 books in the New Testament. They're all over the Bible. And go ahead and read. Every single time, the reaction is extreme fear and a desire to worship. But her, she's like, I don't know where he is. And then she just moves on. I'm, st- I'm looking. Hold on. Hold on. Michael, Michael, Gabriel, wait there. I think it's hilarious. It just shows maybe her extreme distress. Like, of course, angels are here. That we're all looking for Jesus. <laughs> she, had, she had experience with the supernatural, and it didn't shock her. It didn't stun her. And, and so she turns around, and she's looking, and she sees another man. And, and it's Jesus who's standing there, but she didn't recognize him. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? The same question, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? I tell you, it's a question that God asks, not just Mary, asks you. Who is it that you're seeking? Because many of us are seeking the what, but the reality is life is designed for you to seek someone. Who is it that you're seeking? Because you know you have something missing in yourself that can't be fulfilled just by yourself. And so you think, I'll find someone to complete me in this marriage This person I'm marrying will complete me. But if anyone's been married, you know you don't complete that person. You screw them up even more. It's not, but, but yet, so we think, oh, they must be the problem. Let me search for another someone. But Jesus is saying, I know you're looking for someone. Who is it? Who is it? Because he's the only one that's worth seeking. He's the only one that's worth searching for. And this whole time, she hasn't recognized them. Why? Well, we find it right at the beginning of this story. The Bible says she's weeping. Have you ever wept so hard you couldn't even recognize people anymore? Have you ever wept so hard everything gets really, really blurry? And then it's kind of cool. So you try and squint. You try and see. This is how she's weeping so much she can understand it's a, a man, but she can't even see technically who it is. Bible says, once I was blind, but now I see. The process of not being able to identify versus finding Jesus is that Jesus comes to you. Jesus speaks to you. Jesus asks you, is it me that you're searching for? Because if it is, I've actually seeked you out. There's a process where you go from a blurry picture, trying to walk through life, like unable to really see, where Jesus brings clarity to your vision, your mind, your heart, your soul. And in one moment, you're changed. And she... Not knowing it was Jesus, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if it's you who've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. She, she so loves Jesus, she says, I, I'll do it. I'll move his body. But Jesus was anywhere between 180 pounds, 250 pounds. It's a grown man, just dead weight. This, this woman could not move this dead weight alone, but you just see this desire, I've got to make this thing right. I'll do it myself if everyone else will leave. I've got to make this thing right. All of this are like clues that God's giving to us about her character, who this woman woman was, and the kind of people he's going to appear to. If you've carried him away, just tell me where you've laid him. I'll take him away. But Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In one moment, she recognized him. When? When he spoke her name. When he spoke her name. You know, um, scientists will tell us, they've done studies, that the most beautiful sound to a human ear is the sound of that person's own name. We desire to be known. We desire to be affirmed. Have you ever had someone call your name in an angry way? Freaks you. When your mom uses your full name, including the middle name? What about when your mom calls you your dad's name by accident? Then you know you're really in trouble. Jesus affirms her. He, 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 he calls her by name. You see this lovingness here. You see this, this, this friendship here. And he says, Mary. And in one moment when he calls her name, that's when she knows this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Let go of me. She's obviously, she's hugging. She's embracing him. I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Now Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. All of this takes place on Resurrection Sunday. All of this takes place in the morning of Resurrection Sunday, which happens right after the Sabbath. Now, now what's interesting about this day, we call it Easter, we call it Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is the one who resurrected and brings brand new life on this day. That's what we celebrate. But did you know that that day is actually an ancient festival that Jewish people would celebrate for many, many years? In fact, It was given to them, that Sunday was given to them by Moses. God gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai in Leviticus chapter 23, the seven holy festivals that the Jewish people still celebrate to this day. You know, you've heard of Hanukkah, you've heard of Yosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. These are the holy festivals. Well, this was a holy festival that they had celebrated for thousands of years. In fact, the instruction was, I want you to celebrate this wherever you live until the end. Celebrate it all the way through. But here's an interesting thing. This festival that they used to celebrate that lands on the day of Easter, of Jesus' resurrection, they no longer celebrate anymore. When you go there, they celebrate Passover, which happens two days before. They celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which happens for a whole week. But this festival, they no longer celebrate. they've, They've written it out of their culture. The rabbis have written out because the temple no longer exists and because of what it represents. It's so obviously a fulfillment and a connection to Jesus Christ. It's called the Festival of the First Fruits. See, the Festival of Passover is what starts this stream of festivals. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Passover uh, comes from the time when they were slaves in Egypt and they cried out to God and God said, I'm gonna break you free from the yoke of bondage of Pharaoh, but it's gonna be a process and I'm gonna have to bring you through this process. And just so you know, uh, bondage breaking, it's always a process. I, I, I believe it's God and I believe it's miracles, but there were 10 different signs before Pharaoh finally let the people go. And then by the way, the bondage chased them all the way in to the promised land because that's what bondage does. It always wants to chase you down and, 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 and uh, corral you you where there's mountains, there's the Dead Sea, you can no longer move, but God is always the one that provides a way where there was no way. There will be a way of escape always and forever. Bondage does not have the authority to overtake you. God has the final authority to bring freedom into your life. 
And part of that bondage breaking was an act where uh, the, the, the angel of death was coming over the land of Egypt. And what God said through Moses is now take a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb, sacrifice the lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorposts of your house. Whatever home has the blood of that lamb over its doorposts, the angel of death will pass over. Death will not touch you. And so that night when the angel of death came, it saw the blood of the lamb on the homes and it passed over all of those homes and the firstborn men in all those homes survived while in Egypt they died. And the picture is it's the blood that brings protection and brings life. See, Jesus was the perfect spotless Passover lamb, that when he was, though sinless, chosen to be sacrificed, and he was lifted up, his blood not just covered the people of Jerusalem, not just covered the people of Israel, his blood covers you and I. Jesus says, I am the door, and if anyone wants to come in, the door is wide open, but you must come through me. And when you come through Jesus, you come under the blood of Jesus, and death itself passes over. He's the perfect lamb. That's the first festival. The second festival is the festival of the unleavened bread, which is, um, I'm not going to speak much about it, but it happens right afterwards. And what did Jesus say? He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. But the third festival was always to be celebrated on the day after the Sabbath during the Passover festival. Let me just simplify it for you. It's always to be celebrated the Sunday after Passover. That's what we call Easter Sunday. That's Resurrection Sunday. But for thousands of years, it was the festival of the first fruits. And and what God's instruction was, is that before the harvest comes, what I want you to do is I want you to bring forth um, an offering of the harvest before it even comes. Because what God was putting into place was you don't thank God for the great harvest afterwards. You thank him before. Because the principle is, he is the Lord of the harvest. And he is good. Whether the harvest is good or bad, he's good. Whether it's positive or negative this year, he's good. He's the authority. He's over it. So he's saying, don't wait until you have a great harvest. And then you take a little bit and say, here's your portion, God. He says, before anyone is allowed to eat anything in the new season, no one is allowed to touch the harvest before the priests go. They take the harvest and they bring it to God. This is the principle of the first fruits, which by the way, it's still a principle. This is what God's saying. Before you touch any of your harvest, you bring the first to God because you acknowledge him. God, you are good no matter what my bank account says. You are worthy of worship no matter how I'm feeling. First and foremost, you. Well, what they did was they went to the outskirts of Jerusalem every time of this year. The Sanhedrin, which was 70 members, would choose a choice part of the harvest. They would cut it down. They would bring it into the temple next to the Passover lamb. They would lift it up before all the people and before God, and they would wave it as an acceptable sacrifice before God. They would lift it up, and they would wave it. They would lift it up, and they would wave it. For thousands of years, they were lifting this thing up and waving it. It's the sign of the cross. And for thousands of years, they were preparing for the real first fruits to come. Well, what happened? Jesus came, and the Sanhedrin, the 70, they condemned him. They were the ones that chose the first fruits. Well, they said, not Barabbas. Don't crucify him. Crucify Jesus. They chose the first fruits, the Sanhedrin. They crucified him where? Right on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And what did they do? They lifted him up. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all mankind to myself. And he was holy and presentable before God. And this 
leads us to Resurrection Sunday, which is the festival of the first fruits. Jesus came out of the ground, first of the harvest, first resurrected, not the last to be resurrected, the first of the resurrection. It's a new season. It's a new destiny. It's a new time. We now live in the age of life, not death. We live in a new era, not the old era, not law, but grace. And Jesus' resurrection is so powerful because he's not the last resurrection. He's just the first. And you know what's so interesting is they would tell the people, go to the outskirts of Jerusalem and look at the area where the harvest was cut down by the high priest. It would leave a mark where the high priest, there was an empty harvest. And to this day, you can go visit a tomb and it's empty because the first of the harvest is not there. It has been lifted up before God where we're going to join him. More than that, the Bible says that on the very first day of resurrection, it wasn't just Jesus that was resurrected, but some saints who had recently died came out of their grave and were seen walking around the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus was saying, I'm the first fruits, and here's my first fruits that I'm presenting to God. They're not the only saints that are going to be resurrected. You and I are going to be resurrected. Can you say amen? He's the fulfillment of this festival. Remember last week where I said all of the Old Testament points to Jesus? Paul says this, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. In other words, when you die, you're next up. But let's check this out. But Christ is the first fruits, and afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Christ was the first resurrection, but afterwards, those that are Christ, they receive brand new life at his second coming. That's what we look forward to, is the resurrection of all of us. The Bible says we will be caught up like a cloud with Jesus Christ, along with those that were dead who rose first. We're going to join them in eternity, and that's the fulfillment of the festival of the first fruits. That's who Jesus is. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. You say, well, what does this mean to me? Well, here's Mary, and she doesn't get all of this. She's just confused. She's frustrated. She's weeping. She's mourning, and she doesn't understand what's going on. And here's the beautiful thing is that an amazing, let me put it this way, God can be working in your life even when you don't fully understand what's going on. You might be in a place of mourning and sadness and frustration. That doesn't mean that God's not doing very supernatural, eternal, large things. In the midst of this first fruits, first from the ground, new life springing up from the ground, she doesn't understand that. Instead, she just sees the empty tomb and doesn't understand that it's not, about, it's not about mockery of Jesus. It's about the victory of Jesus. And so she's weeping, and she's frustrated, and she's talking to the angels, and they can't give her an answer. And, and she sees this man, and, and he's asking her, why are you weeping? And, and, and the Bible says at first, she didn't know it was Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. And what's beautiful about this is he was the gardener. See, God is the gardener. It's the first thing we find out about God. We find he's a creator and then a gardener. And go read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The Bible says he made heaven and earth. It was good. But then he made within the earth a garden, and he placed Adam and Eve within that garden. And he was the one that cultivated that garden. And he partnered with Adam to become the caretaker of the garden, the fruit, the trees, and all of the animals that are in it. And he said, this garden is absolutely yours. 
It is paradise. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. All of humanity has been trying to get back to what we first lost in the paradise, in, gar- in the garden. And he, here comes the gardener. There was only one thing you couldn't do. You couldn't eat of the fruit of one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you know the story. The serpent came and deceived Eve. He said, did God say that you really couldn't eat anything in the garden? Because see, that's what the enemy does. He takes a tiny little bit of truth and he perverts it to lead you further away from God and further towards God. Did he say you couldn't eat anything? She said, no, we're only allowed to not eat from that one fruit. In fact, we're not even allowed to touch that one fruit or we will surely die. And the enemy said, surely you will not die. But yes, surely they did die. And we have been um, apart and been under that cycle ever since that moment where they ate of that fruit. Eve ate first, brought it to Adam. He ate second. The Bible says God, in the cool of the day, walked into the garden to have relationship with him because before the fall, there was friendship between God and man. And he calls out their names and they are hiding themselves. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit of the garden? And Adam blames Eve, says she did it. Eve blames the serpent, says he did it. God curses all of them. It was the curse of sin that came on all of humanity. But within the curse of promise, God says, I'm going to make enmity between the serpent and the woman. But from the woman is going to come offspring. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. You'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. Jesus crushed the head of sin, death, shame. He crushed it. The battle is won. The victory is his. It is over. And so now, now where do we find ourselves in this story? Back in a garden back in a garden, and Jesus walks up to Mary, and she, she gets something about it. Something about it is ancient. She thinks, you must be the gardener, and, and the picture is that the tomb that Jesus was laid in was actually in a beautiful garden, and, and God is choosing this picture on purpose because his death and resurrection is a part of re-creation, After he created the heavens and the earth, he made a garden. Now he's going to make a new garden. What does Jesus say? Behold, I make all things new. So he comes into a garden. And where Adam fell in a garden, Jesus succeeded in the garden. Where Eve was deceived in the garden, here comes truth itself walking in the garden. And and where their actions led to death, it was the action of Jesus that brings brand new life in the garden. And what is the first thing Jesus does when he resurrects? He walks in the garden. It's full circle. First thing Jesus is going to do is do what he always wanted to do in the beginning. It's just be friends with his creation. Have relationship. Walk with you through life. First thing he does is walk And then what does he begin to do again? He calls her by name, Mary. See, the last time he called them by name, they were hiding from him. But this time, see, she was searching for him. And more than that, he was searching for her. He calls her by name, Mary. The word he actually uses is Miriam, because that's her name in Hebrew. So go tell your Catholic aunts they're praying to the wrong lady, Miriam. (laughs) He names her lovingly. He affirms her. He calls her. It's personal. It's so personal. It's so human. It's so real. She was the one that waited around. And so he goes to her first. She was seeking him, so he seeks her out. 
And here they are in the garden, and now God is going to do something brand new. He calls out to her. He names her. He recognizes her. And, and, the, and the Bible says she doesn't recognize him by her sight, but by her ears, which I'm so grateful because I don't recognize Jesus by my sight, but I recognize his voice. The first person at the resurrection doesn't believe because they saw. They believe because they heard. Jesus said, it's better for those that believe even though they don't see. That's you and me. Let me tell you, you might not see him physically while you're on earth, but if you will listen, he calls your name out. He calls it lovingly. He wants to restore you. He wants to bring you back into relationship. He wants to cultivate a new garden, a new earth, a new life in you. He calls her Mary. Isaiah says this. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one, no devil in hell, no power on earth is strong enough to snatch out of the hand the one that Jesus is clinging on to. I just want you to know there is no other name under heaven and earth that is more powerful than the name of Jesus. There's no voodoo doctor. There's no weird spirit. There's no odd thing. There's no de uh, demonic words that are more powerful than the name of Jesus. He is the name above all names. And when he comes after you, he clings on to you. No one can wrench you. Neither heights, nor depths, nor angels, nor demons, no, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ that he has for you. He says your name. He calls you specifically. You know what Adam did in the garden? One of the, one of the gifts that God gave him that he abdicated was he was supposed to name all of the animals in the garden, and he gave the name to Eve, calling her the mother of all of creation. But he abdicated that place. And Jesus steps into that place and says, I will be the one then that gives humanity its identity. So many people are looking for, who am I? What am I called to do? Where am I called to go? Why am I the way that I am? It's Jesus that will call you by name. It's Jesus that will re-identify you, who you are, that he's for you. He's the one that comes after you, searches you out, grabs you, brings you to himself. If you notice, what has Mary done yet? Nothing. It's all Jesus. And he calls Mary. He gives a new identity. I pray today you allow God to rename you. You're not Saul, you're Paul. Who I was, I no longer am. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Jesus steps back in front of Adam and he says, sin no longer gets to name you. The Savior gets to name you. Your name is not death, it's life. This is what God's doing in the garden. He's restoring Eve. He's restoring humanity, and he's bringing it full circle. And instead of Eve, we find this woman, Mary Magdalene, but she's, she's representing what happened. And Jesus is God. He's the true and better Adam, and he's going to reverse this curse that came over mankind. And so he comes into this, this garden to restore, to change what seemed unchangeable, God comes to change. And, and he shows himself as the risen Savior to this woman, Mary. This woman, Mary Magdalene, is the first person to see Jesus and the first person to receive the gospel. And Jesus even says, go share the gospel. So she becomes the first evangelist that humanity has ever seen. Can I just say this? Do you know, do you know what's interesting about Mary Magdalene? The only other time we see her in Scripture before this 
is in Luke chapter 8, where the Bible tells us that she had seven demons in her that Jesus casts out. A woman that had seven demons in her past, Jesus chooses in the present to bring the gospel into the future. Who is this man? that recreates people, mind, body, and soul? Who is this man that doesn't hold your past against you, that says as far as the east is from the west, I will remove your iniquity. I will completely and totally forget it. He gives the most precious gift humanity has ever received, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he is not here. He is risen. He gives that to a woman who previously had been consumed with demons. But he's the conqueror of demons, and he's the restorer of people. And more than that, he restores culture. At that time, women were not allowed. Uh, it was a misogynistic culture, and at that time, women's... Uh, opinions or their stories many times weren't even accepted in the court of law and Jesus said no I'm coming to redeem Eve back to the place she should have always been Jesus doesn't just save people he saves culture he saves society he rearranges it he's coming to restore what was broken he's coming to set free those who were in bondage he's coming to rename those that accepted the wrong identity the wrong calling, the wrong path. Jesus comes to renew. Eve was deceived by the serpent, and she ate of the fruit. She actually told the serpent, not only are we not allowed to eat that fruit, we must not even touch that fruit. But see, Jesus is the first fruit. He's the new fruit that sprang up in the garden. And Hebrews tells us we have not a high priest who cannot be touched. Jesus presents himself and says, that's the old way. The new way is I'm right here. You can see me. You can put your hands in the area of my palms. You can look at my feet. You can come close to me again. You can be touched. And so what do we find? We find Mary clinging to Jesus. She's holding on to him. So much so Jesus has to say, okay, all right. We're good. He says, don't cling to me. What, he's not saying don't touch me. He's saying, I'm not going to leave just yet. You don't have to hold on to me as if this is it. No, no, we're in a brand new age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you in your past ever again. We're in a brand new age. And he says, instead, don't cling to me. Instead, go and tell my disciples, Peter and John and James, go and tell them, what you have seen. So he gives her the good news first. He gives the good news first, just like they did with the shepherd. He goes to the people that society says, we're not so sure about their testimony. Jesus says, I'm sure about their testimony. I'm going to reorder society right now. He gives her the good news first. And what's the good news? The good news is that he's the first fruits of God. What is he doing? He's handing the fruit back to Eve. And then what does he say? Go bring it back to my disciples. Go bring it back to Adam. It was Eve that brought the fruit of the fall to Adam. But God gives to Mary and says, now go bring the fruit of salvation back to mankind. Go share the good news that he is risen. He is forgiving. He is real. He is here. 
and she gets to declare that I have seen the Lord. He is not in the tomb, but he has risen. See, the gospel cultivates health inside and out wherever it's shared. That first fruit, that thing was cursed, and the curse came on mankind. But Jesus, he brings life forevermore. And wherever Jesus, the first fruits go, it brings health, body, mind, and soul. It brings health into culture. It brings health into life. It brings health into your mind. It brings health into society. And she gets to redeem Eve with this one act. She gets to redeem mankind with this one act. He's done the work. Now we get to bring the first fruits to all society Jesus became a better sacrifice. Jesus spoke a better promise over us. Jesus changed us body, mind, and soul. Jesus recognized us when we didn't recognize him. Jesus came into the garden. Jesus conquered death. And Jesus hands us the first fruit and says, now go and bring it. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon. Thank you.